Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 13 and 14. Now in the last episode we read chapters 11 and 12 where the fifth cohort had won one of their first games in a long time. This lets Frank get recognition for the brilliant plan he had concocted and essentially gets him his few seconds of fame. However, all the celebration dies down when Gwen is brought looking pale. Everyone assumes she's gone due to the medics saying so. However, the next minute, she comes back alive like nothing had ever happened. The shock is too much to wipe off everyone's faces, not to mention the additional visit from Ares, a good old pal of Percy's, but since Percy has lost his memory, he doesn't recall Ares. So, of course, he comes in his Roman form, so Mars visits the camp, and it's explained that Gwen came back alive because of the line between the living and the dead is slowly diminishing due to Gaia and her army of monsters rising back up, so you also have mortals also from the underworld coming back into Earth, or coming back to Earth. And that Mars claims that Frank is indeed his godly son, which makes everyone really shocked. And as he assigns Frank the role of being part of a quest to find out to from a previous chapter that we learned where the previous fifth cohort had gone to Alaska and is where I believe they lost their eagle. So now Mars made a quest for Frank and the others to go to Alaska so they're gonna have to revisit the exact place that the fifth cohort had lost their precious eagle so we'll have to see how that goes and instead of frank getting this rush of pride that he's finally been selected for a quest he gets more of anxiety attacks running down his body so he he's we're gonna have to see how exactly they start off this quest and if we're gonna find out any more information regarding maybe percy's memory coming back slowly and surely because when we look at the previous book um jason had also gone on a quest and this is how he got his memory back a little bit eventually like little pieces and pieces and bits and so hopefully this is how Percy will also start possibly getting more bits and pieces of his own memory as well. So now we're going to read chapter 13, Percy. Percy slept like a Medusa victim, which is like to say, like a rock. He didn't crash, he hadn't crashed in a safe, comfortable bed since, well, he couldn't even remember. Despite his insane day and the million thoughts running through his head, his body took over and said, You will sleep now. He had dreams, of course. He always had dreams, but they passed like blurred images from the window of a train. He saw a curly-haired fawn in ragged clothes running to catch up with him. I don't have any spare change, Percy called. What? The fawn said. No, Percy, it's me. Grover, stay put. We're on our way to find you. Tyson is close. At least we think he's the closest. We're trying to get a lock on your position. What? Percy called out, but the fawn disappeared in the fog. Then Annabeth was running along beside him, reaching out her hand. Thank the gods, she called. For months and months we couldn't see you. Are you alright? Percy remembered what Juno had said. For months he had been slumbering, but now he is awake. The goddess had intentionally kept him hidden. But why? Are you real? He asked Annabeth. He wanted so much to believe it, uh, it. He felt like Hannibal the elephant was standing on his chest. 
But her face began to dissolve. She cried, stay put. It will be easier for Tyson to find you. Stay where you are. Then she was gone. The images accelerated. He saw, he saw a huge ship in a dry dock. Worker, workers scrambling to finish the hull. A guy with a blowtorch wielding a bronze dragon figure, figurehead to the prow. He saw the war god stalking toward him in the surf, a sword in his hands. The scene shifted. Percy stood on the fields of Mars, looking up at the Berkeley Hills. Golden gra grass rippled, and a face appeared in the landscape. A sleeping woman. Her features formed from shadows and folds in the terrain. Her eyes remained closed, but her voice spoke in Percy's mind. So this is the demigod who destroyed my son, Kronos. You don't look like much, Percy Jackson, but you're valuable to me. Come north. Meet, meet uh, Alcyonius. Juno can play your little games with Greeks and Romans, but in the end, you will be my pawn. You will be the god, a key to the god's defeat. Percy's vision turned dark. He stood in a theater-sized version of the camp's headquarters, a principia with the walls of ice and freezing mist hanging in the air. The floor was littered with skeletons in Roman armor and imperial gold weapons, encrusted with frost. In the back of the room sat an enormous shadowy figure. His skin glinted of gold and silver, as if he were an automaton, like Reyna's dogs. Behind him stood a collection of ruined em emblems, tattered banners, and a large golden eagle on a staff of iron. The giant's voice boomed in the vast chamber. This will be fun, son of Neptune. It's been eons since I broke a demigod of your caliber. I await you atop the ice. Percy woke, shivering. For a moment, he didn't know where he was. Then he remembered. Camp Jupiter. The fifth cohort by barracks. He lay in his bunk, staring at the ceiling and trying to control his racing heartbeat. A golden giant was waiting to break him. Wonderful. But what unnerved him more was that sleeping woman's face in the hill. You will be my pawn. Percy didn't play chess, but he was pretty sure that being a pawn was bad. They died a lot. Even the friendlier parts of his dream were disturbing. A fawn named Grover was looking for him? Maybe that's why Dawn had ejected a... What had he called it? An empathy link. Somebody named Tyson was searching for him, too, and Annabeth had warned Percy to stay where he was. He sat up in his bunk. His roommates were rushing around, getting dressed and brushing their teeth. Dakota was wrapping himself in a long piece of red speckled cloth. A toga. One of the layers was giving him pointers on where to tuck and fold. Breakfast time? Percy gasped hopefully. Frank's head popped out from the bunk below. He had bags under his eyes like he hadn't slept well. A quick breakfast, then we've got the Senate meeting. Dakota's head was stuck in his toga. He staggered around like a Kool-Aid-stained ghost. Um, Percy said, should I wear my bedsheets? Frank snorted. <laughs> That's just for the senators. There are ten of them, elected yearly. You've got to be at the camp five years to qualify. So how come we're invited to the meeting? Because, you know, the quest... Frank sounded worried, like he was afraid Percy would back out. We have to be on the discussion. You, me, Hazel, I mean. If you're willing. Frank probably didn't mean to guilt him, but Percy's heart felt pulled like taffy. He had sympathy for Frank. Getting claimed by the war god in front of the whole camp? What a nightmare. Plus, how could Percy say no to that big pouty baby face? Frank had been given a huge task that would most likely get him killed. He was scared. He needed help Percy's help. 
And the three of them had made a good team last night. Hazel and Frank were solid, dependable people. They'd accepted Percy like family. Still, he didn't like the idea of this quest, especially since it came from Mars, and especially after his dreams. I, um, I'd better get ready. He climbed out of bed and got dressed. The whole time he thought about Annabeth. Help was on the way. He could have his old life back. All he had to do was stay put. At breakfast, Percy was conscious of everyone looking at him. They were whispering about the previous night. Two gods in one day? Un-Roman fighting? Water cannon up my nose? <clears throat> he was too hungry to care. He piled on, uh, he filled up on pancakes, eggs, bacon, waffles, apples, and several glasses of orange juice. He probably would have eaten more, but Reyna announced that the Senate would now convene in the city, and all the folks in togas got up to leave. Here we go. Hazel fidgeted with a stone that looked like a two-carat ruby. The ghost Vitalius appeared next to him in a purple shimmer. Bona Fortuna, you three. Ah, Senate meetings. I remember one, the one when Caesar was assassinated. Why, the amount of blood on his toga. Thanks, Fidelius. Frank interrupted. We should get going. Reyna and Octavian led the procession of senators out of camp, with Reyna's metal greyhounds dashing back and forth along the road. Hazel, Frank, and Percy trailed behind. Percy noticed Nico D'Angelo in the group, wearing a black toga and talking with Gwen, who looked a little pale but surprisingly good considering she'd be dead the night before. Nico waved at Percy, then went back to his conversation, leaving Percy more sure than ever that Hazel's brother was trying to avoid him. Dakota stumbled a lot along in his red-speckled robe. A lot of other senators seemed to be having trouble with their togas, too, hiking up their hems, trying to keep the cloth from slipping off their shoulders. Percy was glad he was wearing a regular purple, purple shirt and, to and jeans. How could Romans move in those things, he wondered. They were just for formal occasions, Hazel said. Like, tuxedos. I bet the ancient Romans hated togas as much as we do, but... By the way, you didn't bring any weapons, did you? Percy's hand went to his pocket, where his pen always stayed. Why? Are we not supposed to? No, weapons are allowed inside the Pomerian line, she said. The what line? Pomerian, Frank said. The city limits. Inside is a sacred safe zone. Legions can't march through. No weapons allowed. That's so Senate meetings don't get bloody. Like Julius Caesar getting assassinated? Percy asked. Frank nodded. Don't worry. Nothing like that has happened in months. Percy hoped he was kidding. As he got closer to the city, Percy could appreciate how beautiful it was. The tiled roofs and gold domes gleamed in the sun. Gardens bloomed with honeysuckle and roses. The central plaza was paved in white and gray stone, decorated with statues, fountains, and gilded columns. In the surrounding neighborhoods, cobblestone streets were lined with freshly painted townhouses, shops, cafes, and parks. In the distance rose the Colosseum and the horse racing, racing arena. Percy didn't notice they'd reached the city limits until the senators in front of him started slowing down. On the side of the road stood a white marble statue, a life-sized, muscular man with curly hair, no arms, and an irritated expression. Maybe because he looked mad because he'd only been carved from the waist up. Below that, he was just a block of marble. Single file, please, the statue said. Have your IDs ready. Percy looked to his left and right. He hadn't noticed before, but a line of identical statues ringed the city at intervals of about a hundred yards. The senators passed through easily, 
The statue checked the tattoos on their forearms and called each senator by name. Gwendolyn Senator, 5th Cohort. Yes. Nico D'Angelo, Ambassador of Pluto. Very well. Reyna, Praetor, of course. Hank, Senator, 3rd Cohort. Oh, nice choose, Hank. Ah, who have we here? Hazel, Frank, and Percy were the last ones. Terminus, Hazel said. This is Percy Jackson. Percy, this is Terminus, the god of boundaries. New, eh? Said the god. Yes, probatio, tablet. Yeah, fine. Ah, weapon in your pocket? Take it out, take it out. Percy didn't know how Terminus could tell, but he took out his pen. Quite dangerous, Terminus said. Leave it in the tray. Wait, where's my assistant? Julia! A little girl about six years old peeked out from behind the base of a statue. She had pigtails, a pink dress, and an impish grin with two missing teeth. Julia? Terminus glanced behind him and Julia scar scurried in the other direction. Where did that girl go? Terminus looked the other way and caught sight of Julia before she could hide. The little girl squealed with delight. Oh, there you are, said the statue. Front and center, bring the tray. Julia scrambled out and brushed off her dress. She picked up a, a tray and presented it to Percy. On it were several preparing knives, a corkscrew, an oversized container of sun lotion, and a water bottle. You can pick up your way a weapon on the way out, Terminus said. Julia will take good care of it. She's, trained She's a trained professional. The little girl nodded. Professional. She said each syllable carefully, like she'd been practicing. Percy glanced at Hazel and Frank, who didn't seem to find anything odd about this. Still, he wasn't wild about handing over a deadly weapon to a kid. The thing is, he said, the pen returns to my pocket automatically, so even if I give it up, not to worry, Terminus assured him. We'll make sure it doesn't wander off, won't we, Julia? Yes, Mr. Terminus. Reluctantly, Percy put his pen on the tray. Now, a few rules, since you're new, Terminus said. You are entering the boundaries of the city proper. Keep the peace inside on uh, the, the line. Yield to chariot traffic while walking on public ro roads. When you get to the Senate House, sit on the left si left-hand side. And down there... Do you see where I'm pointing? Um, Percy said. You don't have any hands. Apparently, this was a sore point for Terminus. His marble face turned a dark shade of gray. Smart aleck, eh? Well, Mr. Rule Flouter, ride down there in the forum... Julia, point for me, please. Julia dutifully set down the security tray and pointed toward the main plaza. The shop with the blue awning, Terminus continued. That's the general store. They sell tape measures. Buy one. I want those pants exactly one inch above the ankles and the hair regulation cut. And tuck your shirt in. Hazel said, thank you, Terminus. We need to get going. Fine, fine, you may pass, the god said testily. But stay on the right side of the road and that rock right there. No. Hazel, look where I'm pointing. That rock is entirely too close to that tree. Move it two inches to the left. Hazel did what she was told, and they continued down the path, Terminus still shouting orders at them while Julia did cartwheels across the grass. Is he always like that? Percy asked. No, Hazel admitted. Today he was laid back. Usually he's more obsessive, compulsive. He inhabits every boundary stone around the city. Frank said, kind of our last line of defense if the city's attacked. Terminus isn't so bad, Hazel added. Just doesn't make him angry. Just don't make him angry. Or he'll force you to measure every blade of grass in the valley. Percy filed that information. And the kid? Julia? Hazel grinned. Yeah, she's a cutie. 
Her parents live in the city. Come on, we'd better catch up to the senators. As they approached the forum, Percy was struck by the sheer number of people. College kids were hanging out at the fountain. Several of them waved at the senators as they passed. One guy in his late 20s stood at a, ba- at a bakery counter, flirting with a young woman who was buying coffee. An older couple was watching a little boy in diapers and a miniature Camp Jupiter shirt toddle after seagulls. Merchants were open, opening their shops for the day, putting out signs in Latin that advertised pottery, jewelry, and half-price tickets for the Hippodrome. All these people are demigods? Or descended from demigods, Hazel said. Like I told you, it's a good place to go to college or raise a family without worrying about monster attacks every day. Maybe two, three people, hundred leave, two, three hundred people live here. The veterans act like advisors and reserve forces as needed, but mostly they're just citizens living their lives. Percy, imagine what would be, what would that be like? Getting an apartment in this tiny replica of Rome, projected by the Legion and Terminus, the OCD border, border god. He imagined holding hands with Annabeth at a cafe. Maybe when they were older watching their own kid chase ski seagulls across the forum. He shook the idea out of his head. He couldn't afford to indulge in that kind of thinking. Most of his memories were gone, but he knew this place wasn't his home. He belonged somewhere else, with his other friends. Besides, Camp Jupiter was in danger. If Juno was right, an attack was coming in less than five days. Percy imagined that sleeping woman's face, the face of Gaia, forming in the hills above camp. He imagined hordes of monsters descending into this valley. If you don't succeed, Mars had warmed, there won't be any camp left to return to. Rome will be overrun, its legacy lost forever. He thought about the little girl, Julia, the families with kids, his new friends in the fifth cohort, even those silly fawns. He didn't want to picture what what might happen to them if this place was destroyed. The senators made their way to a big white dome building on the west end of the forum. Percy paused at the doorway, trying not to think about Julius Caesar getting slashed to death at a, at a Senate meeting. Then he took a deep breath and followed Hazel and Frank inside. And that's the end of chapter 13. I really do wonder what exactly this Senate meeting is going to do, because I'm not sure if it's going to look at, you know, the possibly any past records that the three of them have done, or maybe they might go against it, but then... One of the gods will come in and say, I vouch for Percy because, again, memory is lost. So there's tons of possibilities and tons of things to look forward to in this next chapter. And we'll definitely see how the Senate meeting is going to go for the trio and if they'll be able to do their quest. So after this break, we'll read chapter 14 once again from Percy's perspective. And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 14, Percy. The Senate House interior looked like a high school lecture hall. A semicircle of tiered seats faced a dais with a podium and two chairs. The chairs were empty, but one had a small velvet package on the seat. Percy, Hazel, and Frank sat on the left side of the semicircle. The ten senators and Nico D'Angelo occupied the rest of the front row. The upper rows were filled with several dozen ghosts and a few older veterans from the city, all in formal togas. Octavian stood in front with a knife and a beanie baby lion, just in case anyone needed to consult the god of cutesy collectibles. Reyna walked to the podium and raised her hand for attention. Right, this is an emergency meeting, she said. We won't stand on formalities. I love formalities, a ghost complained. Reyna shot him a cross look. 
First of all, she said, we're not here to vote on the quest itself. The quest has been issued by Mars Alter, the patron of Rome. We will obey his wishes, nor are we here to debate the choice of Frank Zhang's companions. All three from the fifth cohort? Called out Hank from the third. That's not fair. And not smart, said the boy next to him. We know the fifth will mess up. They should take somebody good. Dakota got up so fast, he spilled Kool-Aid from his flask. We were plenty good last night when we whipped your podex ladder, Larry. Enough, Dakota, Reyna said. Let's leave Larry's podex out of this. As quest leader, Frank has the right to choose his companions. He has chosen Percy Jackson and Hazel Levesque. A ghost from the second row yelled, Absurdus! Frank Zeng isn't even a full member of the Legion! He's on probatio! A quest must be led by someone of centurion rank or higher! This is completely- Cato? Reyna snapped. We must obey the wishes of Mars Alter. That means certain adjustments. Reyna clapped her hands and Octavian came forward. He set down his knife and Beanie Baby and took the velvet package from the chair. <clears throat> Frank Zhang, he said. Come forward. Frank glanced nervously at Percy. Then he got to his feet and approached the auger. It is my pleasure, Octavian said, forcing out the last word. To bestow upon you the mural crown for being first over the walls in siege warfare. Octavian handed him a bronze badge shaped like a laurel wreath. Also by order of Praetor Reina to promote you to the rank of centurion. He handed Frank another badge, a bronze crescent, and the senate exploded in protest. He's still a probie, one yelled. Impossible, said another. Water cannon up my nose yelled a third. Silence! Octavian's voice sounded a lot more commanding than it had the previous night on the battlefield. Our Praetor recognizes that no one below the rank of Centurion may lead a quest. For good or ill, Frank must lead this quest. So our Praetor has decreed that Frank Zhang must be made Centurion. Suddenly, Percy understood what an effective speaker Octavian was. He sounded reasonable and supportive, but expression was pained. He carefully crafted his words to put all the responsibility on Reyna. This was her idea, he seemed to say. If it went wrong, Reyna was to blame. If only Octavian had been the <clears throat> one in charge, things would have been done more sensibly. But alas, he had no choice but to support Reyna, because Octavian was a loyal Roman soldier. Octavian managed to convey all with that without saying it, simultaneously calming the Senate and sympathizing with them. For the first time, Percy realized this scrawny, funny-looking scarecrow of a kid might be a dangerous enemy. Reyna must have recognized this too. A look of irritation flashed across her face. There's an opening, opening for Centurion, she said. One of our officers, also a senator, has decided to step down. After ten years in the Legion, she will retire to the city and attend college. Gwen of the Fifth Cohort, we thank you for your service. Everyone turned to Gwen, who managed a brave smile. She looked tired from this previous night's ordeal, but also relieved. Percy couldn't blame her. Compared to getting skewered with a pillum, college sounded pretty good. As Praetor, Reyna continued, I have the right to replace officers. I admit, and it's usual for a camper on Probatio to rise directly to the rank of Centurion. But I think we can agree. Last night was unusual. Frank Zhang, your ID, please. Frank removed the lead tab lead tablet from around his neck and had handed it to Octavian. Your arm, Octavian said. Frank held up his forearm. 
Octavian raised his hands to the heavens. We accept Frank Zhang, son of Mars, to the 12th Legion Fulminata for his first year of service. Do you pledge your life to the Senate and people of Rome? Frank muttered something like a dud. Then he cleared his throat and managed, I do. The senator shouted, Senatus Populus Romanus. Fire blazed on Frank's arm. For a moment, his eyes filled with terror, and Percy was afraid his friend might pass out. Then the smoke and flame died, <clears throat> and new marks were seared onto Frank's skin. SPQR, an image of crossed spears, and a single stripe representing the first year of service. You may sit down. Octavian glanced at the audience as if to say, This wasn't my idea, folks. Now, Rena said, we must discuss the quest. The senator shifted and muttered as Frank returned to his seat. Did it hurt? Percy whispered. Frank looked at his forearm, which was still steaming. Yeah, a lot. He seemed mystified by the badges in his hand. The centurion's mark and the mural crown. Like, he wasn't sure what to do with them. Here. Hazel's eyes shone with pride. Let me. She pinned the medals to Frank's shirt. Percy smiled. He'd only known Frank for a day, but he felt proud of him too. You deserve it, man, he said. What did you do? What you did last night? Natural leadership. Frank scowled. But Centurion. Centurion Zhang! called Octavian. Did you hear the question? Frank blinked. Um, sorry, what? Octavian turned to the Senate and smirked, like, what did I tell you? I was asking, Octavian said like he was talking to a three-year-old, if you have a plan for the quest. Do you even know where you're going? Um, Hazel put her hand on Frank's shoulder and stood. Weren't you listening last night, Octavian? Mars was pretty clear. We're going to the land beyond the gods, Alaska. The senators squirmed in their togas. Some of the ghosts shimmered and disappeared. Even Reyna's metal dogs rolled over on their backs and whimpered. Finally, Senator Larry stood. I know what Mars said, but that's crazy. Alaska is cursed. They call it the land beyond the gods for a reason. It's so far north, the Roman gods have no power there. The place is swarming with monsters. No demigod has come back from there alive since, since you lost your eagle, Percy said. Larry was so startled, he fell back on his podex. Look, Percy continued, I know I'm new here. I know you guys don't like to mention that massacre in the 1980s. He mentioned it, one of the ghosts whimpered. But don't you get it? Percy continued. The fifth cohort led that expedition. We failed, and we have to be responsible for making things right. That's why Mars is sending us. This giant, the son of Gaia, he's the one who defeated, defeated your forces 30 years ago. I'm sure of it. Now he's sitting up there in Alaska with a chained death god and all your old equipment. He's mustering his armies and sending them south to attack this camp. Really? Octavian said. You seem to know a lot about our enemy's plans, Percy Jackson. Most insults Percy could shrug off, being called weak or stupid or whatever. But it dawned on him that Octavian was calling him a spy, a traitor. That was such a foreign concept to Percy, so not who he was, he almost couldn't process the slur. When he did, his shoulders tensed. He was tempted to smack Octavian on the head again, but he realized Octavian was baiting him, trying to make him look unstable. Percy took a deep breath. 
We're going to confront this son of Gaia, he said, managing to keep his composure. We'll get back your eagle and unshake this god. He glanced at Hazel. Thanatos, right? She nodded. Lead us, in Roman. But his old Greek name is Thanatos. When it comes to death, we're happy to let him stay Greek. Octavian sighed in exasperation. Well, whatever you call him, how do you expect to do all this and get back by the Feast of Fortuna? That's the evening of the 24th. It's the 20th now. Do you even know where to look? Do you even know who this son of Gaia is? Yes. Hazel spoke with such certainty that even Percy was surprised. I don't know exactly where to look, but I have a pretty good idea. The giant's name is Alcyoneus. That name seemed to lower the temperature in the room by 50 degrees. The senator shivered. Reyna gripped her podium. How do you know this, Hazel? Because you're a child of Pluto? Nico D'Angelo had been so quiet, Percy had almost forgotten he was there. Now he stood in his black toga. Praetor, if I may, he said. Hazel and I, we learned a little about the giants from our father. Each giant was bred specifically to oppose one of the twelve Olympian gods, to usurp that god's domain. The king of giants was Porphyrian, the anti-Jupiter. But the eldest was Alcyoneus. Alcyoneus. He was born to oppose Pluto. That's why we know of him in particular. Reyna frowned. Indeed, you sound quite familiar with him. Nico picked at the edge of his toga. Anyway, the giants were hard to kill. According to prophecy, they could only be defeated by gods and demigods working together. Dakota belched. Mm, sorry, did you say gods and demigods? Like fighting side by side? That could never happen. It has happened, Nico said. In the first giant war, the gods called on heroes to join them, and they were victorious. Whether it could happen again, I don't know, but with Alcyonius, he was different. He was completely immortal, impossible to kill by god or demigod, as long as he remained in his home territory, the place where he was born. Nico paused to let that sink in, and if Alcyonius has been reborn in Alaska, then he can't be defeated there. Hazel finished, ever, by any means, which is why our 1980s expedition was doomed to fail. Another round of arguing and shouting broke out. The quest is impossible, shouted his senator. We're doomed, cried a ghost. More Kool-Aid, yelled Dakota. Silence, Raina called. Senators. We must act like Romans. Mars is giving us this quest, and we have to believe it is possible. These three demigods must travel to Alaska. They must free Thanatos and return before the Feast of Fortuna. If they can retrieve the lost eagle in the process, so much the better. All we have to do is advise them and make sure they have a plan. Reyna looked at Percy without much hope. You do have a plan. Percy wanted to step forward bravely and say, No, I don't. That was the truth, but looking around at all the nervous faces, Percy knew he couldn't say it. First, I need to understand something. He turned toward Nico. I saw Pluto was the god of the dead. Now I hear about this other guy, Thanatos, and the doors of death from that prophecy, the prophecy of the seven. What does that all mean? Nico took a deep breath. <sighs> okay. Pluto is the god of the underworld, but the actual god of death, the one who's responsible for making sure souls go to the afterlife and stay there, that's Pluto's lieutenant, Thanatos. He's like, well, 
Imagine life and death are two different countries. Everyone would like to be in life, right? So there's a guarded border to keep people from crossing back over without permission. <clears throat> but it's a big border, with lots of holes in the fence. Pluto tries to seal up the breaches, but new ones keep popping up all the time. <clears throat> That's why he depends on Thanatos, who's like the border patrol. The police. Thanatos catches souls, Percy said, and deports them back to the underworld. Exactly, Nico said. But now Thanatos has been captured, chained up. Frank raised his hand. Uh, how do you chain death? It's been done before, Nico said. In the old guys, a guy named Sisyphus tricked death and tied him up. Another time, Hercules wrestled him to the ground. <clears throat> and now a giant has captured him, Percy said. So if we can free Thanatos, then the dead will stay dead? He glanced at Gwen. Um, no offense. It's more complicated than that, Nico said. Octavian rolled his eyes. Why does that not surprise me? You mean the doors of death, Reyna said, ignoring Octavian. They are mentioned in the Prophecy of the Seven, which sent the first expedition to Alaska. Kata the Gora ghost snorted. We all know how that turned out. We layers, remember? The other ghost grumbled in agreement. Nico put his finger to his lips. Suddenly, all the layers went silent. Some looked alarmed, like their mouths had been glued together. Percy wished he had that power over certain living people, like Octavian, for instance. Thanatos is only part of the solution, Nico explained. The doors of death. Well, that's a concept even I don't completely understand. There are many ways into the underworld. The river Styx, the door of Orpheus, plus smaller escape routes that open up from time to time. With Thanatos imprisoned, all of those exits will be easier to use. Sometimes it might work to our advantage and let a friendly soul come back, like Gwen here. More often it will benefit evil souls and monsters, the sneaky ones who are looking to escape. Now, the doors of death, those are the personal doors of Thanatos. His fast lane between life and death. Only Thanatos is supposed to know where they are, and the location shifts over the ages. If I understand correctly, the doors of death would have been forced open. Gaia's minions have seized control of them, which means Gaia controls who can come back from the dead. Percy guessed. Nico nodded. She can pick and choose who, who to let out. The worst monsters, the most evil souls. Even if we rescue Thanatos, that means at least he can catch souls again and send them below. Monsters will die when we kill them like they used to, and we'll get a little breathing room. But unless we're able to retake the doors of death, our enemies won't stay down for long. They'll have an easy way back to the world of the living. So we can catch them and deport them, Percy summed up, but they'll just keep coming back across. In a depressing nutshell, yes, Nico said. Franco scratched his head. But Thanatos knows where the doors are, right? If we free him, he can retake them. I don't think so, Nico said. Not alone. He's no match for Gaia. That would take a massive quest. An army of the best demigods. Foes bear arms to the doors of death, Reyna said. That's the prophecy of the seven. She looked at Percy and for just a moment she could see how scared she, he could see how scared she was. She did a good job of hiding it, but Percy wondered if she had nightmares about Gaia too. If she'd seen visions of what would happen when the camp was invaded by monsters that couldn't be killed. If this begins the ancient prophecy, we don't have resources to send an army to these doors of death and protect the camp. I can't even imagine sparring seven, seven demigods. First things first. Percy tried to sound confident, though he could feel the level of panic rising in the room. 
I don't know who the seven are or what the old prophecy means exactly, but first we have to free Thanatos. Mars told us we only need three people for the quest to Alaska. Let's concentrate on succeeding with that and getting back before the Feast of Fortuna. Then we can worry about the doors of death. Yeah, Frank said in a small voice. That's probably enough for one week. So do you ha- You do have a plan, Octavian asked skeptically. Percy looked at his teammates. We go to Alaska as fast as possible. And we improvise, Hazel said. A lot, Frank added. Reyna studied them. She looked like she was mentally writing her own obituary. Very well, she said. Nothing remains except for us to vote what support we can give the quest. Transportation, money, magic, weapons. Praetor, if I may, Octavian said. Oh, great, Percy muttered. Here it comes. The camp is in grave danger, Octavian said. Two gods have warned us we will be attacked four days from now. We must not spread our resources too thin, especially by funding projects that have a slim chance of success. Octavian looked at the three of them with pity as if to say, poor little things. Mars has clearly chosen the least likely candidates for this quest. Perhaps that is because he considers them the most expendable. Perhaps Mars is playing the long odds, whatever the case. He wisely didn't order a massive expedition, nor did he ask us to fund their adventure. I say we keep our resources here and defend the camp. This is where the battle will be lost or won. If these three succeed, wonderful, but they should do so by their own ingenuity. An uneasy murmur passed through the crowd. Frank jumped to his feet before he could start a fight. Percy said, fine, no problem, but at least give us transportation. Gaia is the earth goddess, right? Going over land across the earth, I'm guessing we should avoid that. Plus, he'll be too slow. Octavian laughed. <laughs> Would you like us to charter you an airplane? The idea made Percy nauseous. No, air travel. I have a feeling that would be bad too. But a boat. Can you at least give us a boat? Hazel made a grunting sound. Percy glanced over. She shook her head and mouthed, fine. I'm fine. A boat. Octavian turned to the senators. The son of Neptune wants a boat. Sea travel has never been the Roman way, but he isn't much of a Roman. Octavian, Brainus said sternly. A boat is little enough to ask, and providing no other aid seems very traditional, Octavian exclaimed. It is very traditional. Let us see if these questers have the strength to survive without help, like true Romans. More muttering filled the chamber. The senator's eyes moved back and forth between Rome, Octavian and Reyna, watching the test of the wills. Reyna straightened in her chair. Very well, she said tightly. We'll put it to a vote. Senators, the motion is as follows. The quest shall go to Alaska. The Senate shall provide full access to the Roman Navy docked at Alameda. No other aid will be forthcoming. The three adventurers will survive or fail on their own merits. All in favor? Every senator's hand went up. The motion is passed. Reyna turned to Frank. Centurion, your party is excused. The Senate has other matters to discuss. And Octavian, if I may confer with you for a moment. Percy was incredibly glad to see the sunlight. In that dark hall with all those eyes on him, he felt like the world was riding on his shoulders. And he was fairly sure he had that experience before. He filled his lungs with fresh air. Hazel picked up a large emerald from the path and slipped it in her pocket. So, we're pretty much toast. Frank nodded miserably. If either of you wants to back out, I wouldn't blame you. Are you kidding? Hazel said, and pull sentry duty for the rest of the week? 
Frank managed to smile. He turned to Percy. Percy gazed across the forum. Stay put, Annabeth had said in his dream. But if you stayed put, this camp would be destroyed. He looked up at the hills and imagined Gaia's face smiling in the shadows and ridges. You can't win, little demigod, she seemed to say. Serve me by staying, or serve me by going. Percy made a silent vow. After the Feast of Fortuna, he would find Annabeth. But for now, he had to act. He couldn't let Gaia win. I'm with you, he told Frank. Besides, I want to check out the Roman Navy. They were only halfway across the forum when someone, some called. Jackson! Percy turned and saw Octavia jogging toward them. What do you want? Percy asked. Octavian smiled. Already decided I'm your enemy? That's a rash choice, Percy. I'm a loyal Roman. Frank snarled. You backstabbing slimy... Both Percy and Hazel had to restrain him. Oh dear, Octavian said. Hardly the right behavior for a new centurion, Jackson. I only followed you because Reyna charged me with a message. She wants you to report to the Principia without your... Ah, two lackeys here. Reyna will meet you there after the sentry adjourns. She'd like a private word with you before you leave on your quest. What about? Percy said. I'm sure I don't know. Per Octavian smiled like wickedly. The last person she had a private talk with was Jason Grace, and that was the last time I ever saw him. Good luck, and goodbye, Percy Jackson. And that's the end of chapter 14. Um, I think one sentence to probably sum up that last chapter was Octavian is really annoying. <laughs> um, I don't know exactly why or what led to him act like this and what he has against the fifth cohort, but he, I'm not sure if it's mainly because he wants to, con like, he wants to take control and maybe take Reyna's position, but the way he's treating, like, the three of them is just, it's just not right. You know, no, nobody deserves to be treated like that. And the and the fact that he was treating them like this before on their quest, it's just really disappointing to see that someone can act like this. But, you know, I really hope that they can come back and prove Octavian wrong and as well as somehow get him to, you know, back down because that kind of behavior is never okay at, like, any time at any point. So... Yeah, I really do wish them luck, and I really hope that they come back successful on this trip, because I think that them being able to free Thanatos, it's a very, very crucial thing. It's a very crucial um, um, achievement towards beating Gaia, because this might be, like, after this, it might be um, the connecting point. After this book, this is where the two camps start to come together, and... It's possible that the seven demigods from the prophecy will contain demigods from both the Greek camp and the Roman camp because they both have to work together to go against Gaia because she is getting, you know, the most powerful and evil monsters there is in the underworld. So next week we'll read chapter 15 and 16. I do apologize for the, that one word that I wasn't able to quite get right. I will make sure that I work on that pronunciation for that word. But um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you guys want to support me, my Patreon is located in the description of my podcast. And other than that, 
next, I hope you all, um, until next week, I hope you all stay safe and stay out of boredom.